This is the Wildflower Bee Farm Podcast for Saturday, January 30th, 2021. I'm Hank, and I hope you're having an amazing day. It's about minus 13 outside today. Very cold. Bees are all snuggling up. But I got to tell you, it's been a crazy week. I was out walking the other day, and you'll see it if you go to um, our Instagram page or if you go to wildflowerbeefarm.com, and you'll see that uh, I talk about them flying. Uh, tomorrow I'll be posting a video on this. They're actually flying when it was minus one. Now, I'll talk about that in a second. I just want to thank those of you who may have signed up for my uh, beginner beekeeping class at Teachable. If you want more information, just go to wildflowerbeefarm.com and click on the link, and it'll take you to Teachable, where you can see what the class is about. It's beginner beekeeping. There's 13 lessons. Uh, it's a $25 investment on your side. It goes all goes back into our into our conversion of our farm back to nature. So check it out. Thank you for those of you who signed up. It's a, a look at the three years of what I've learned, hoping you won't uh, you know replicate those mistakes and how you can be a bee helper, whether you want to get a hive or not. And it's, it's a lot of fun. It's great for kids too, I think. And every year we'll probably update it based on what's happening here on the farm. A couple interesting sidelines. So I looked at the equipment needs for the spring and uh, you know, we, we still don't know how many of our hives are going to survive because anywhere from 10% up will not make it through the winter. 10 to 20% is considered the normal attrition rate. And beyond that, you lose hives because of um, different things. So we, we don't know, but you're always an optimist. It's like being a farmer. So the idea being, well, I kind of am a farmer. So the idea being they all survive. What's the plan? So the, the plan was to get to 40 hives and perhaps someday 50. And I looked at the you know, we have some log hives that are empty because we put them in too late uh, to, to catch any swarms and some other things. So so I, I put together some an order and I, I contacted a couple of suppliers here in Ontario and I said, okay, here's my here's my order, my, my hypothetical order that I want to get from you. What's the best you can do on price? And I was pretty amazed that they wouldn't do much. This is January. <laughs> And uh, I was I was looking to buy things that I probably don't need till late summer. So there was no, I, you know, we're we're always trying to help and, you know, <coughs> excuse me, take care of local business and Canadian and Ontario businesses and thinking we can sort of come up with a win-win scenario, but that wasn't going to happen. So I thought, okay, I'll just, uh, you know, not order anything until I need it. And unfortunately, that that cuts cash flow for them. But what can you do if you can't get a reasonable? response to a request and I all I recommend that to everybody regardless of what business you're in you know ask for a discount ask for what's the best price you can do and so on so that didn't work um, I did however get a hold of my uh, Kubota tractor dealer because I ordered um, this week I, I was able to order some linden trees to plant on the farm and if you do some research you'll know that bees absolutely love linden trees uh, hard to find but I got some from a company out of Alberta I also uh, had put together a small order of uh, fruit trees from Krauss Nurseries, and hopefully that will work out. And then in the bush, we have a number of uh, cedar um, and uh, pine trees that are growing voluntarily on their own. Some very nice, you know, one, two foot high trees that we're going to transplant to a windrow uh, near the fence to protect the property from drift, from spray from the adjoining farmers. So. With all this planning and because I'm getting up there in age, I thought, well, I really do need to get a, uh, it's like a post hole digger that you put on the back of your tractor, but it's wider so that you can dig a little hole to put a tree in. And that's what I was able to order just uh, 
just yesterday. So it's exciting, you know, getting into that kind of ordering of stuff is exciting and looking at the future planning of things. So here I am the other day walking. We, we had done a morning walk. It was like minus seven or something. And of course, everything was shut down around the hives. And then in the afternoon, I thought, well, I'll take a, take a walk and do some collection of data because some of them, as you know, have um, um, technology in them that requires me to be close to the hive to pick up the, um, the data. Broodminder. Just got to grab a drink of water here. <coughs> so doing that, I... Um, I was walking along, I heard a noise, and I, I went over a little bit of a, a dip in the uh, area where we had a hive, a single deep. Um, it was a single deep that we had put a queen in. It was a split that we had done, uh, and um, it was buzzing with bees. Now, it was about minus one, and these bees were doing cleansing flights. And I talk about cleansing flights in this week's uh, podcast at wildflowerbeefarm.com in depth because I did some research on it to learn more about it because this didn't make any sense. And when I looked around at the afterwards when I got in, I found I'd walked to another site and there was another hive. Now this hive, they were flying. And it was interesting because it was the area where we're testing the difference between keeping hives totally alone and as I call it, socially isolated or uh, and are they healthier or does it matter if you put them side by side as we usually see in typical apiaries so in this section where the other hive was flying there were four other hives fairly close within three to four feet of each other five feet of each other this was the only hive that was flying there was no snow on the ground hardly any so it wasn't like a reflection of light or anything all of them had the same amount of sun but it was about minus one to one degree now the book says you need your bees shouldn't be out and that's celsius shouldn't be flying unless it's you know seven six some say even five or 40 degrees fahrenheit which seems pretty cold they can do short flights and relieve themselves remember they can't go to the bathroom all winter so when they get a chance they go i have no idea why this happened because the science doesn't tell us it's possible i wonder of genetics i wonder of health i wonder of a misguided <laughs> hive that just didn't get it uh, I don't have internal monitoring in these hives so I have no idea what the temperature or humidity was that may have uh, encouraged them to do this so that's still a mystery and I'm doing some more digging and research we're going to follow them though throughout the year to see if that has any indication of later health or later vigor when it comes to uh, surviving mites or, or just surviving so that that was a really I mean it was kind of exciting to you know you're walking along in the winter you're kind of oh, it's the winter it's cold then you hear bees and you go wow I'm hearing bees no really and and they were out there so and they were coming back they weren't just flying away and perishing you could see them coming and going so obviously it was weird. but quite a quite a group you'll see it on Instagram I'll post the other short video clip once I get the um, blog up on wildflowerbeefarm.com the other dilemma I'm having is to understand uh, varroa mite treatment in the spring because we don't do alcohol washes and just to summarize that's where you grab a hundred bees and you kill them and then you see how many mites you have and that somehow tells you whether you should treat or not. I, I'm more of a calendar person for treatment because I don't want to kill any bees and I think that you know we just assume mites are everywhere because they are. And so we will have our log hives that won't be treated because it's impossible to treat them in a log hive. They'll swarm constantly. So hopefully that will help with that and we'll be able to study that population. 
<clears throat> they're also so far away from our other bees that there's there's going to be no drift or issues there. But if we're treating, you know, all our hives at the same time, with the exception of those, it shouldn't make any difference. So we'll keep track of that and keep you posted. But I'm not I'm not sure because if you if you go through the cycle of bees throughout the year, you know, in April they're building things up. There starts to be pollen and nectar by May. They're really rocking. There's a large, you know, group that probably wants to start to swarm. If you treat with formic for example formic acid it sort of sets them back it might even hurt the queen so there's this constant back and forth in my brain about treat no treat mites you know obviously they need to be treated in the late summer for fall and winter you, i think you should treat right now at least once a year uh twice a year probably is required so i'm gonna i'm gonna have to decide the timing on that we may break it up into two different groups and treat some in may and treat some in you know, late April or something and we also have thymol as I, I talk about in the beginner beekeeping class which are both considered natural ways to control mites the problem is you're also getting rid of beneficial mites and so I just uh, it's a it's a there's no answer and I really don't know so this week uh, now that I have my uh, you know tree hole digger planted I, I figured out and ordered I've got to look at sort of planting the farm where we're going to put these little groves of trees, whether it be the fruit trees or the linden trees, or as I said, we're going to be putting some pine trees along the, the rows on near the fences. But we're also going to, I think I'm going to do a few groves of pine trees within the farm just to, just to have that growing there, have a few ideas on where that may be. Um, they won't be any more than a quarter acre, mainly for windbreaks. Uh, so that we can have different uh, spots to put some of the hives and have easy access to them. We're also going to plan a, a, a bit of a, a walking trail road for us to be able to get right to the back of the bush easily with the tractor and be able to bring in hives and manage them and help them as they take on uh, the challenges. We've had a look at, we have trail cams all over for security, so we looked at the videos again this week and in the pictures and it seems that the turkeys are sort of hibernating and hanging out the the deer we don't find deer anymore we do find the odd coyote and we do find some feral cats there we call them there's some cats living around here that seem to be strays we used to say um and some rabbits and that's basically probably what's bringing in the coyotes that they travel through and uh and look for food the heat sensing uh, thermal camera has been helpful in helping me understand a little bit about the hives. I'm worried about a couple of them uh, that were weak going into the winter. They always say, you know, if the hives going in, well, I'd already made them stronger by combining them with other hives. I just don't know if it was soon enough to make them uh, strong. A couple of them are, are clustered way near the top, which I think is for warmth because we have the, the moisture blankets there, which probably helps them conserve heat and energy. So that's really the report for this week. Um, I'm Hank from the Wildflower Bee Farm. Uh, thank you again, those of you who have signed up for our beginning beekeeping class. If you haven't, go check it out. Go to wildflowerbeefarm.com. Click on the link there. It'll take you and you'll see the explanation. It's 13 um, lessons, if you will. And you'll see the description of what we provide. And uh, it, it really is, it was helpful for me to go through it because I actually summarized you know, a lot of my mistakes and some things I could do differently and maybe how you can you can uh, help bees without a lot of effort. The, the big one for me also was the, uh, I talk a little bit, I have a lesson on catching swarms. And that's one thing the beginning, you know, it kind of scared me, freaked me out a little bit when I thought about catching a swarm. That sounds like, you know, 
difficult. So I tried it the traditional way, which you'll see in, in, the, in the class, and you'll see it on Instagram. I have a little clip there, but where you basically find a way to either shake or drop or get the cluster to fall into a hive or at least close to it so that the queen and everybody marches in and that's how you catch a hive and i'm starting to realize it's probably healthier to have some different what they call traps or homes set up around the farm so that when the bees decide you know where and what they want to live in it probably is helpful to make them have the scouts make that decision rather than you know knock them off and put them in a hive because that may not be a place they want to be and in in the video in the beginner beekeeper class, I did that. I actually had to cut a dead branch to, to have them fall into a into a uh, box. Thought I caught them. Um, you know, waited like usual, like the book says, and then put the, put the lid on, and they were flying. It seemed great. Well, they weren't finished yet, because around the corner I had an empty top bar hive that I had put a little bit of uh, you know attractant in, some uh, essential oil lemon, I think it was, and. I think there was one piece of wax or frame in there. Well, they decided to, to move over to there. It was about 50 yards away, and they decided rather than stay where I had provided them a home. And by the way, this home had tons of food. There was a, I, I had kept some frames of full honey so that they would have all kinds of food. Well, what they did is they moved and took the honey with them, going to the top bar hive, which uh, currently, as I, as I looked at the thermal about a month ago, seemed very strong. So we'll see how that turns out. But... I think for for most of us uh, early stage career beekeepers, I think it's helpful to set up, you know, I call them traps or places where you could, um, where they'll feel comfortable, usually an empty hive where you put some, you know, essential oils or be uh, attracted in there or some old frames that may have some foundation on them, natural wax, and that will attract the bees in, in April and May. And I think you should probably get them out in March. Uh, I'm going to get mine all out in March because you just really don't know when they start sending out scouts. And I, I have to tell you, before I close, the more I do this, like most things, the more I don't know. And when you go to the science to find answers, they don't know either. Uh, you know, just a simple uh, example of bees flying at, you know, minus one. How is that even possible? The other part that just came up that I think you should think about is there's some science that suggests some hives have two queens. And, you know, most of the traditional science tells you that, you know, if, if two queens are in a hive together, they'll fight to the death and one will survive. And that's, you know, survival of the fittest and all that stuff. But there's actually situations where beekeepers, and I had one hive, I'm, I'm quite convinced, had two queens. And, and I think it still does, and I'm not sure, but it was just, it, it's a tree pad hive because of the way it just looked to me with the clusters and the way, even now, if you look at the thermal imaging, it looks like there's two clusters. So keep an eye out. Remember, there's, there's nothing really in stone, and bees have brains and adapt to the environment and the micro and macro habitats we put them in. So I think they're an ongoing study, and, and that's what I'm excited about with the uh, wildflower bee farm. You have an amazing, amazing week, and we'll talk soon.